Hey guys, welcome to Diana's Lens, where I interact with you about the components in the STEM field and introduce you to fascinating people who passionately inhabit the scientific and technical frontiers of our society. My name is Rihanna Malhotra and I'm absolutely elated to share this podcast with all of you. On this episode, I'm joined by a guest who's both certified in obstetrics and gynecology and in the subspecialty of reproductive endocrinology and infertility. She's a member of the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and is also a voluntary assistant professor at the University of Miami School of Medicine and Florida International University School of Medicine. I'm so thrilled to welcome and introduce Dr. Ellen Wood and can't wait to begin our discussion. Thank you so much for coming on. Well, thank you so much, Rihanna, for inviting me. I mean, I just, I, 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 I'm always excited to talk about what I do and to kind of share it with the world. So I, I'm happy to educate your listeners on all of the cool things that we do in our office. Yeah, it's my pleasure to have you on. I'm so excited for this discussion. So getting forward with this conversation, let me first ask you, what exactly is it that motivated you to get into this field? Okay, so reproductive endocrinology and infertility was not a lifelong dream of mine, okay? So, however, being a doctor was. So when you decide that you have a passion to help people and you want to go into medicine, the difficult choices are what type of medicine do you want to practice, okay? So you know it's going to be a long, hard journey. So, you know, you, you, you crush it in high school, you know, you get into yourself into a top college. I mean, I, you know, was top of my class in high school. I went to an Ivy league education. I went to university of Pennsylvania. Um, and at the time I wasn't really sure whether I'd be a doctor, but I said, you know what, if I do get into medical school, I, you know, I think I'll give it a shot. Um, but I knew I wanted to help people. I mean, there's different things, you know, you have you wanted business or, or you, you know, you, you like history, you like to, I mean, there's different things you go into, but again, when you know you like medicines, you like science, you like math, um, and you like to help people. I mean, you have to combine all those things. So I figured, all right, well, you know, I took all the pre-med classes, but I really wasn't sure whether I wanted to be a doctor. So my major in college, interestingly enough, was not traditional. I started off as biology. I changed to what we call BBB at University of Penn. It was biological basic behavior. I still really wasn't happy with that curriculum. And I'm like, I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like I need to, I need, I need to learn more about myself. So I changed my major in my junior year and I actually became an international relations major. And so I focused in on South American history, political science, as well as economics. And I did a minor in Spanish. And all of my pre-med requisites, like the prerequisites for medical school were my electives. So, you know, it was very non-traditional. So I graduated with, I graduated with a bachelor's degree in international relations and a minor in Spanish, but I applied to medical school and I got in. <laughs> like, yeah, a little crazy, but I got in. Um, so I'm like, guess I should go. <laughs> <laughs> so I just check this out. My father said to me, he's like, just go. If you don't like it, it's just nice to have the education. Um, I mean, but I had, I had like a backup plan. 
an international relations major. So, you know, if I wanted to go the law school pathway, I kind of go that way too. Um, so, you know, like, you know, I had a plan A, plan B type of thing. So I got into medical school and, and the first year of medical school was more like the basic science, the more like the biology that I was taking. And I'm like, I, I love the science, but again, I, you know, it, just learning the science, you're not helping people like you're, and at the time, I mean, this was, God, you know, almost 30 years ago, um, you know, there wasn't the push to do, you know, the volunteer stuff and to work in the hospital and to have all these, you know, hours of volunteering. It just, we just didn't do it 30 years ago. They, they just didn't tell you to do it. It just wasn't available. So I really didn't have any clinical experience. So all I had was these basic sciences. I'm thinking, I guess you got to suck this up to be a doctor. Um, so first year of medical school was just, you know, more basic sciences. And I'm thinking, really? Like I'm paying all this money to do this. And then your second year in med school, you actually start to learn clinical stuff. So you don't see patients, but you actually learn clinical things. So you get into clinical courses and, and they start to teach you how you can apply the basic science to actually helping people. And so, you know, I started to get in the second year and I'm like, okay, okay, maybe I'll stick this out. I'm like, okay, maybe I can do this. Then third year, they put you into the hospital. They give you a little white coat. They give you your stethoscope and they're like, go talk to a patient. And you're like, okay. And you're like, deer in the headlights. And this was fun. So I'm like, all right, I'll stick with this. So now you got to decide what do I want to be? And so you start to go on the different rotations. You start to say, all right, you know, they put you into psychiatry for a month and you're like, no, I can't talk to crazy people like for the rest of my life. And then they put you into, you know, ENT and you're like, oh no, no, mucus can't do it. Like, it's just ugh, ugh. like, and then they put you into, you know, geriatrics and it's like nursing homes and just like the smells and the old people. No. Yeah. I, and you just quickly cross off what you do not want to do. And so September of my third year, um, I had my OBGYN rotation and you had to, you had to work a couple of nights. So you do your day shift and then you run nights with the resident. And the very first night that I am on OBGYN, um, patient comes in in labor. She's in the bed, she's laboring. I mean, I never seen this little baby delivered before. <laughs> and the resident comes in, he's like, all right, you know, here she's pushing. And he's like, here, put your hands here. And literally this, this guy was a first year resident. I was a third year medical student. He let me deliver the baby. I mean, I delivered the baby, shoulder, blah, 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 delivered the baby, you know, and he showed you exactly how to be, oh my God, I just delivered a baby. I'm like, this is a rush. I mean, so amazing. So you, you, there's just, you, you can't, I can't even describe it. And then she had a little, a little tear. And then he's like, all right, I'll show you how to, I'll show you how to fix it. And I sewed this lady's little tear up and I'm thinking, this is what I want to do. I'm like, this is so freaking fun. At the time, we had three subspecialties to OBGYN, okay? We had gynecological oncology. There's another subspecialty, which is called maternal fetal medicine, which is high risk obstetrics. So MFM was out because then we'd still be with liver and babies. So there comes infertility. This subspecialty is one of the most cutting edge amazing fields that anybody can go into. I mean, from the day I started my fellowship in 1997, what I am doing now is it, 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 it's a 
totally different. Everything in my world is cutting edge and is constantly changing. If, I mean, if I could have only envisioned freezing eggs back in 2000, 2002. I'm like, you know what? In the future, they're probably gonna have egg banks that people, you, this, was, this was not even a reality. Now you can go online, pick your frozen egg, you can pick your frozen sperm, you can put them together, you can make your baby. I mean, you can test an embryo with a biopsy of a couple cells. You can tell 99% whether it's healthy or it's not healthy. Crazy, crazy stuff. It's, it's a fascinating job, but it's very, very different for young people that are now looking to go into it because most of it is the assisted reproductive technology. It's a shame that they're not going to have the opportunity to learn the surgery and to learn the other modalities that we had, you know, 15, 20 years ago to help patients have babies. It's just going to be IVF, 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 which I feel is a shame. Um, but that is the way of the future. What I do is advancing and advancing and advancing. And, and I can't stress it enough how exciting every year when we go to our big meetings are just about what's the new thing going out? What's the new thing out? What's the new thing out? Um, so I'm sorry, that's a very long, long, long answer to your short church question. No, it's all right. It was really great to hear your uh, experience from 30 years ago to now. And of course, your journey that got you here. And I really loved your first, uh, your experience with your first patient. That was really cool to hear. Yeah, it, 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 it's, I mean, again, my job is just, it, you know, I've had, I've had, I've had people say, so, so what's rewarding about my job? Okay. Like how can helping people have a family, you know, like people who are having problems. So obviously. 85% of the population is fertile. Okay. So most people just say, you know, they get married, you know, they, they have sex and oh, I miss my period. I'm pregnant. I mean, that's the majority of the population, but you have a couple that goes through that. And it's like, all right, we've been having unprotected sex for a year. I'm only, you know, I'm only 32, 33 years old. We haven't been pregnant yet. I'm thinking we there might be something wrong. Like that is not normal. Like most people just get married, have sex, and have a baby. Um, so when you meet that couple who has been having difficulties, and you are the one who is makes the plan or tells them what to do or decides that they need this treatment, whether it be just a fertility pill whether it be better timing, whether it even be, you know, high tech stuff. Okay. When you're that person that makes that plan and then they get pregnant and they have a baby, you, 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 you can't equate that to anything else. I mean, my um, youngest daughter is um, going to dental school. Okay. And she wants to be an orthodontist. I mean, yes, she's probably going to take great pleasure out of straightening people's teeth and making them a great smile. Okay. But I'm telling you, Making people a great smile nowhere compares to helping someone have a family. <laughs> like there's just there's nothing better. There's nothing better in the world that that knowing like and I and I look at the pictures of the babies that I have made over the years and I said to myself like what if I had counseled that patient not to try again? Like what if I had looked at her stuff and I said you know what I really don't think this is going to work. Like what if I had said. I don't think this is going to work. Don't try this. 
And I didn't, I told them, let's give it one more shot. Like it may not work, but and the chances might be low, but let's give it one more shot. And we give it one more shot. She gets pregnant and she has a baby. Like, and I have patients. And, uh, you know, one of the questions you, I think, you know, one of the answer was, you know, success stories. It's like, there, there are so many wing and a prayer success stories I have that, you know, you look at these hormone levels and you learn as a doctor, you're like, there's no way in heck this lady's going to get pregnant. Like this hormone level is so off. This hormone level is so off. It doesn't look like she has any more eggs. And I'll say to them, you know what? What's this? What do we have to lose in trying one more time or trying this plan? And we do it. And where the woman had every single eye against her that this was going to work and it works. And she has a baby. Like, and this baby is healthy. Like if this baby could, you know, go off to change the world, like, you know, and I help that baby happen. You just, there's, there's, you just can't compare. You just, and, and I have so, so many success stories. Whereas patients said, you know, I saw this doctor and this doctor said like, there's no way, like absolutely no way I'd ever have my own baby. I'm like, well, I'm like, the chances are low. I'm like, yeah, chances are low, but what's the harm in trying? Like, you know, what's then? And so we try and then we try and you're like, wow, like that worked. Any educated fertility specialist would look at these people's charts and say, there is, this woman had a less than like 1% chance of this working. And it has. So I just have those babies and I, and I look at them when I see them on Facebook and I'm friends with them. And I'm just like, I, I and I watch them grow. And I, and I say to myself, like, those kids would not exist without Dr. Wood's crazy plan. Right, yeah. And uh, is there the, any challenging case that you have handled so far, like any one example that you can give? Yeah, there's just, there's, there's honestly just so many um, because hormone levels are really the, the mainstay of what we do. So we draw a woman's hormone levels and we say, all right, if your levels are below this or above this, okay, your chances of getting pregnant are less than 2%, less than 1%. Okay. And that's what the data shows. Like the data doesn't show the crazy rogue physicians who go and try the crazy hormone levels. So the data shows that your chances are this. And then when you take a patient who comes to you and you look at a hormone level and you're like, like your chances are less than 1%, but we could try this. And then you're successful. I mean, I, I have hundreds, hundreds of cases over 20 years just because I tell the patient, yes, your hormone levels suck, but I don't know whether your response to the medicine is going to suck. So you can treat paper or you can treat patients. And there are physicians out there who do the work that I do that look at a hormone level and they're like, nope, we're not even going to try you. Your hormone levels are too bad. Like they're not even going to try because the paper says it's not going to work. And that is not my philosophy. So yeah, I just, really, you know, it's really empowering that you still try no matter what the statistics say and you make sure that the patient is happy after this entire road of journey. Right. And, and again, and even if we fail, the patient knows they tried and then we'll move on to alternatives like egg donation or sperm donation or other, other things. But I mean, I do think it's so important to actually listen to the patient and treat the patient. 
Um, it's, it's a lot of us in medicine, we just, we learn by the book. And again, that's the way we're taught. And, you know, we, we know what the x-ray show or the CT shows, the blood work shows. And we're like, nope, you know, you know, here's the tumor. Nope. The tumor is going to kill you. It's going to die the tumor and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden the tumor disappears because they did some sort of other treatment or some experimental or blah, blah, blah treatment. And the doctor's like, well, that shouldn't have happened, but it did. Um, so medicine is a cool field to go in, but I think there are doctors who just constantly go by the book. And then I think there's doctors who know the book and look outside the book and look at all aspects of medicine. I think and they make the best doctors. Right, completely. You know, some of these patients also face with uh, emotional needs. So how do you cope with that? 50% of my job is psych. Okay. I should have a psych degree because many times all you have to do with an infertile couple is reassure them that sperm look fine. You're ovulating well, your fallopian tubes are open and you just put that into their head that there is really nothing wrong with you because not no, not getting pregnant and then not knowing if you have a problem, the anxiety builds month after month after month. And once they come to a fertility specialist and some people don't even want to come to me. Some people are like, no, 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 no. I don't want to see the doctor. Like, that means there's something wrong with me. I don't want to see the fertility doctor. That means there's something wrong with me. And they come to me and I reassure them, you know what? This is good. This is good. This is good. And I never see them again. And I bump into them in Target with a baby. And I'm like, Alrighty, guess guess that works. Guess that handshake worked. We call those handshake pregnancies in my business. So, well, now that we can't shake hands, but we're fist bumping, whatever. Be prior to COVID, we we shook hands. Okay, so prior to COVID, everybody we shook their hand, and they shook my hand, reassured them there's nothing wrong with them, and they became pregnant. Um, so, you know, many times just that reassurance that there really isn't a significant fertility problem um, can be enough to help a patient conceive. Um, so yes, 50% of infertility definitely has an emotional aspect to it. I mean, some of it is scientific, like your tubes are blocked. Yeah. You need help. Low sperm count. You need help. You don't ovulate. You need help. But there's many patients out there that have unexplained infertility and, you know, reassurance is, is all they need. And, and sometimes even just timing, um, to, to get them, make sure they're sexually active at the time they're ovulating. Right. And now COVID, as you mentioned, has totally turned our world around. So um, how has the experience changed for you? Is there any change in procedures now due to COVID? Well, we were one of the lucky clinics who decided not to shut down. So we were able to keep our operations going um, through last March, April, May, June, July. Um, we had four IVF labs. We downsized to one IVF lab. Um, we did not furlough any employees. We had 130 employees. None of them were furloughed. We cut back. We um, you know, we, we did a lot of different things in our operations, so we didn't have to furlough patients. Um, we went virtual. Um, so our virtual business was booming. I mean, you know, we just sat on the computer all day long last April, May and June talking to patients. Um, we only brought them into the office for specific procedures they needed. Um, we did not shut down our IVF lab facilities. So we were able to stay afloat. We were able to keep patients going through STEM because fertility patients do not want to stop because of a dumb virus. Okay. They do not want things to close down. Unfortunately, I'm still seeing patients with masks. We still have barriers on our desks between us and the patients. The patients still have masks on. 
we have now allowed patients back into our office with the husbands before we were only allowing one patient in the office. So we really did have to change our whole operation due to COVID, but we were able to maintain services. And, and now, okay, where we had a slump in business last year, just because we patients couldn't come into the office freely. Okay. 2021, everybody wants to have a baby. It is crazy. We are seeing almost twice as many patients as we did from 2019. My waiting list is out three months. If you call for an appointment with me, you can't see me till the end of September. Some of our doctors, you can't see till January, they are booked. It is crazy. The pandemic has just created this insane baby boom where everybody has realized the importance of family and making a baby and focusing on yourselves. It's, I mean, it's, it's very interesting because again, our business has become ridiculously busy as has the home improvement business. Okay. Like I were to try to order patio furniture. Okay. They told me there's a 12 week wait for patio furniture because everybody's upgrading their homes because nobody was traveling. Uh, I mean, so the businesses that have been booming because of COVID are completely unexpected. Um, you know, patients have, you know, people that in general have not been traveling. So they have some disposable income to pay for fertility treatment, to pay for home upgrades and home renovations. And it's, it's been very, very interesting. Um, the businesses that have taken a hit from COVID and the businesses that are booming, but ours is one that has been, I mean, literally we were, ridiculously busy in 2019. And we thought that was amazing. 2020, we were all sitting around talking to the computers for three or four months. Um, September, things just started to boom up again. And right now we're looking to hire two or three more doctors. We need bigger offices. We need nurses. We need medical assistants. We, we, are, we are busting at the seams in all of our offices. I mean, our, our, our volume has you know, been up at least 20% from where we were in 2019. And that was totally unexpected um, because, you know, essentially last summer we were starving. Um, so it's been, it's been a very unexpected um, outcome from, from the pandemic. And we have just managed it with um, masks, social distancing, you know, make patients wait in their cars, um, not bring husbands in. And, and we, we managed it, we managed it quite well. And the patients were, were you know, they, 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 they listened and they, they did what we told them, like, hey, we'll call you from your car, I'm ready to see you. We could say, hey, we're ready for you now, patient will come from the car and we would see them um, and we do their procedure. Um, so so it, it, it's not great, I mean, it's not like normal, but um, we've managed really, really, really well and the patients have too. And the patients have appreciated us, um, you know, kind of, kind of staying in business and helping them. Yeah, I really marvel your dedication, even through these uh, tough times, you're still helping patients out. And apart from working at the hospital, you also are affiliated with many associations and you also work as an assistant in um, universities. So how has that experience been for you? Um, well, initially, well, so initially, so um, I'm a preceptor for, I mean, I'm a preceptor for um, Nova Southeastern University Medical School, um, Lake Erie um, Osteopathic Medical School, um, FIU. I've taken students from um, Virginia Medical School. I mean, there's about eight different uh, medical schools that I take preceptors from. And so we did, unfortunately, as of last February, have to stop having students in our office, which was terrible because these poor students, like their educational experience was just like, I mean, they're paying all this money to go to medical school and 
they want to learn things, but they have to do these, you know, virtual things and have to do this computer stuff. So for them, it was really a shame. We were able to, at least, I think it was, I think September, we didn't let students in the office from February to September, but in September we said, all right, students can come back. We were, we were one of the first ones to allow students to come back and do their, you know, whether you're undergraduate shadowing, whether you were a medical student, need your rotation, um, you know, BGYN um, or, or an elective, um, whether you're a resident that need to rotate. I mean, so we allowed students back in September. So we just had a brief hiatus. Um, whereas I don't even think where I operate, I operate in Coral Springs and I don't even, I think maybe even just last month they're letting medical students in, but they had, they have still not let medical students in, but we, we were, I mean, I'd say nice, um, because we have, I have a very large office and we had enough way to social distance and we were allowed to have the medical students come back in. So, I mean, I had two medical students from uh, Nova Southeastern University Medical School um, who rotated with me. Whereas if they didn't rotate with me, they couldn't graduate. Like, because their rotations were canceled. They were kicked out of the hospitals. They were kicked out of the offices. I mean, and if they didn't complete an OBGYN rotation, they couldn't graduate. So I was able to at least help them out. And, you know, I mean, I'm not a basic OBGYN, but we did teach them some basic gynecology you know, throughout their, you know, during their rotation and they were able to complete their medical school training. But, um, so we were a little bit more liberal than a lot of the, um, a lot of the places, especially the hospitals, um, as far as, as far as training students were concerned. Um, so I'm happy, I'm happy for that because again, I, these, these two particular students would not have been able to graduate, um, unless they, unless, unless I, you know, filled out their evaluations and taught them a little bit. Yeah, that's good to hear that they finally got graduated during these uh, yeah, during no, 2020. No, it was, no, it was stressful. These poor medical students it was stressful. I mean, literally, they have to do clinical rotations and they were just kicked out of the hospital. Like, sorry, don't come back. And they're paying, they're pay I mean, like medical school, like $100,000 a year for medical school. And there's nowhere for them to go to get to learn. So it was for medical students, the pandemic was a tragedy. I mean, just from the educational perspective, I mean, everybody catches up, but I mean, I do think that, that a lot of medical students in that year missed, missed out on a lot that they, they shouldn't have. Yeah, it hit everyone really hard. So, well, hey, this web shadowing thing. Oh my gosh. Like <laughs> web shadowing. Like I'm like, I, I'm, I have two other things with, I'm going to do a web shadower thing on Saturday with some tele shadowing um, thing for the reproductive endocrine. And then I have another one, I think at the end of July, I've already done a couple, um, online, but it's like, Hey, it's made students very, very, very creative and innovative. Okay. In order to get these experiences that they need in order to decide on a medical career. So I have to say everything, you know, even though it, it, it's not traditional, there's a silver lining there where, the innovation and the ingenuity of young people like yourself creating different things to get that educational experience you need in order to decide what career pathway you want to go down has been amazing because, you know, two years ago, whoever heard of web shadowing, I mean, it just didn't exist. I mean, now it's, you know, I've, you know, all different states have contacted me and I've done all sorts of different lectures and stuff. And it's, it's been, it's been, I, and I say yes to do it because, it's kind of like, you know, you're so creative at, at getting all these different specialties. And again, they've got a network of a hundred different doctors, you know, that they're shadowing and doing this for them. I'm thinking, 
you people are, you know, really go-getters as far as just trying to create this educational experience for your peers. Um, so I, I've been, I've been impressed. I've, I've been impressed. So again, there's just lots of very, very different things that have come out of the pandemic. Yeah, totally. Lastly, what advice would you like to give to anyone wanting to become a gynecologist? Again, gynecology and OBGYN are going to be very, very different in the future. Okay. So if you want to go into OBGYN, it's kind of like you have a love for obstetrics, you have a love for gynecological surgery, you have a love for a subspecialty. So whereas 25 years ago, you learned them all. Moving forward, it's going to be like, hey, I love delivering babies. So there's going to be a track that you just focus in on delivering babies. And that's what you do. You do shift work, you deliver babies, and that's what you do. Or I want to be a gynecological surgeon. You go down that pathway. Or I want to be a subspecialist. I want to do cancer surgery. I want to do pelvic floor reconstruction. I want to do infertility. And so there's going to be different in the future. There's going to be different tracks that people are going to go down. Um, and you just have to decide when you're in your training, whether you like one thing or the other, there's still going to be the opportunity to do everything, but either you can do everything so-so, or you can do one thing amazing. So it's going to be a very different type of subspecialty. I, I envision 10, 15 years down the line. Um, I mean, there's just doctors right now that they're OBGYN, they're obese, like they're not GYNs, they're obese. So all they do is they're hospitalists. So they do the labor floor. They deliver babies all day long. They do 12, eight hour shifts, or I mean, eight, 12 hour shifts and they do OB, but they don't operate. They don't see patients in clinic. So it's, it's, there's different ways to design the, the subspecialties now. And I don't know if it's in any other subspecialty, but in my subspecialty, um, definitely the, the training process is, is evolving and changing. So you're not going to get in, in most um, training programs, the opportunity to just learn everything as well as I did. Um, you know, there's going to be different pathways and the patients, I mean, students just have to decide, you know, which pathway they, they want to, they want to seek out, right. but definitely, I mean, I think, I think shadowing, I think getting exposed to as many things as you can when you are young and even in college, even in high school, um, is, is going to benefit you. So when you go into medical school, you know, which direction that you want to go into. Um, and that is going to help you achieve that goal because you're going to be start to gravitate to there in your early education. Whereas again, you know, when I trained, it's kind of like, they just throw you into your third year and you're like, figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> and you just like, hate that, hate that, hate that. And sometimes you finish the end of your third year and you're like, oh my God, I did 12 rotations and I hated everything. Um, <laughs> what am I going to, what kind of doctor am I going to be? Um, so I think trying to figure out early on, you know, what really excites you, what you think you could do every day, where you think you could make a difference. Um, I think figuring that out early on is, is, is super, super exciting. Um, so for example, when I learned to do, you know, when I found out I liked OB, my father still was like, I think ophthalmology is a better field. Okay. So I did like three rotations looking at eyeballs and nope, every single day, can't look at another eyeball again. I'm like, no way. I can't look at that little spit. I like, I just like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. Then my dad wanted to be a dermatologist. I did three different rotations with three different dermatologists. 
just, and I'm just like, I can't see another skin cancer again. They come out with little skin cancer guns. I'm like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. But again, when I, you know, went into OB, I, I just, I, you know, I, I just felt I gravitated to where I, I love, I love helping women have families. So, and, 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 and female, female medicine and female gynecology, I think it, it's just, you, you know, you hit it when you find it, when you find it, then you know, that's your direction. But the more you get experience with um, medicine as you're young, before you enter medical school, the better you will be equipped to decide which is the field for you. Yeah, that's some really good advice. I would definitely keep that in mind and I'm sure that this knows will as well. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for coming on. It was a great discussion. Uh, to let all of you know, this podcast is now available on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts and Pocket Cast. Make sure you subscribe to all listening and watching platforms and stay tuned for more.